0: Dwell on these things and meditate on these things, and, and let the cross and the reality of the resurrection to, to soak deeply into your hearts. And slowly but surely, you will find your fear fading. I do want to pause on this and address two things that I think we are currently, um, perhaps a little bit afraid about. Now, not everybody's afraid of these things, and, and some people are, are, are fine with them. But some of you are afraid of them, and I think we um, should address them. One is this. Um, St. Paul's has hired a new rector. That's great news. Mike Lumpkin he has been gone um, since November and we've got a um, trip coming in in August. And this is really good news. But at the same time, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'd say change makes us a little nervous. Um, and it's okay to go ahead and call it fear because it can be for that. It can be for most of us. And the question is, can our faith drive that out in the midst of it? Now, how is this going to work? Well, one option is we could focus on Trip. I could stand up here and say he's awesome. He's done great things at his church in Conway. He's got a wonderful family. He um, he's a great preacher. I can tell you all the good things that the search committee and the vestry knows so well about about our next rector. But that won't satisfy. The, 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 the fear you might have in your heart. What does he think about my ministry? What does he think about the things that I think are important in the church? There's going to be a little bit of fear there. But if I say, Tripp's great, but he's not Jesus. But Jesus is Jesus. And Jesus is faithful. And he has promised us new life. He has promised us his Holy Spirit. He has promised us to. he is going to send His Holy Spirit to guide this church and He's going to guide us through trip, that will start to drive out fear. When you say the Lord's got a plan for this place and this community to proclaim the gospel at this time, then we can trust whoever He sends us. That's what faith looks like. It's not dependent on circumstances or a person. It's dependent on Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. And when we stay faithful to that, then all our fears will subside. That's one point. And the second point, um, well, it's frankly a hard thing to talk about. Not all of you would feel this way, but um, many of you, I'm guessing, do. I think there's a level of fear around the Supreme Court decision on Friday. Um there's certainly on on one side and, and folks in this room I'm sure a level of of happiness and rejoicing, but but on another side there's also a um, level of fear and i don't I'm not going to get into this right now and right here, but I do want to say this: if you're afraid, you don't need to be, okay? Our hope is not in the Supreme Court. our hope is not in the president, whether he's a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. Our hope is not in Congress. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And we should probably, I think, let go of trying to change things that, that we cannot change and instead focus on the things that we do have power over. How about our own marriages? What if Our faith was in Jesus Christ to restore and enliven our marriages so that we actually were a light to the world. Or how about this church and this community? What if our focus was on being a community that was a welcoming family for anyone who wanted to come in here? And instead of focusing on trying to change other things, we focused on on who we are and being the light of Christ. and realizing that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's sovereign and He's sitting in the right hand of the Father and He wants us to be who He's called us to be and not try to make other people somebody that He hasn't called them to be. That's what faith looks like. And so may, may, if you're afraid, maybe have some faith. Now, you got to sort through that. That's not going to be something that just clicks right now. But, but, but I pray that the Lord will be able to give you um, a hope and a gentleness and a love in the midst of things that um, make us nervous and make us fearful. And so that is my prayer, that our faith would drive out any fear. Finally, and very briefly, I want to say this. Jesus makes the unclean clean. Jesus makes the unclean clean, very quickly. Jesus, uh, this passage is, is you can't get over this um, touch. The the People are touching lots of different people in this passage, right? And especially Jesus, they all want to touch him. And so Jairus comes and he, he falls to Jesus' feet and he says, lay your hands on my daughter. And the whole crowd is, right, they're pressing in on Jesus. We've got the woman coming and touching his robes and then at the end we have Jesus taking the sweet little girl's hand in his own and touching her. Now here's the deal. The woman was unclean. The dead girl was unclean. Jesus had no business touching them, lest he too become unclean. But that's not what happens, is it? This would have been shocking for folks who didn't know Jesus, for Jews Who would see him doing these things. And Jesus does not become unclean when he touches the woman or Jairus' daughter. Jesus makes them clean, does he not? He heals the woman, he raises the girl from the dead, he is making them clean. And he makes us clean as well. In the presence of Christ, the sick are healed, the dead are raised. The unclean, the unworthy, the unholy, you and me are justified in the presence of God. Never forget who you are and where you began. You're unclean, just like the woman, just like Jairus' daughter. But when Jesus touches your heart, he makes you holy in the eyes of God. What an amazing thing that is. And so if if you're here this morning and you're not sure why and you're thinking, there's no way I can have that kind of faith. There's no way Jesus would, would accept me. Let me tell you this. Jesus will bring you into his loving arms and anything you've done, any shame you might be carrying, any guilt you might have, he will wipe that away and make you clean and pure. And church, this is something we need to remember Because too often, I think we want to be a clean and pure church. And we worry that somehow, if something unclean gets in here, it's going to mess up the whole thing. And I'm just telling you, that's not to happen. When we are faithfully following Jesus, he makes the unclean clean. And I'm telling you, they're not just going to wander onto this campus like maybe that would have happened 20, 30 years ago. Jesus is calling us out to proclaim the gospel the people that we might have a hard time with, people we might not be sure about. And nevertheless, we're called to love them as Jesus has loved them. They're not going to make us unclean. But by the power of the gospel, we will all be brought before the Lord and be given garments of white, clean and pure, so that that last day we may rejoice with him in his everlasting kingdom. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for these examples of faithfulness. But above all, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. And because of your faithfulness, we have no reason to fear, but yet we are able to hope and to pray, hope for things we cannot see. And so, Lord, I pray that um, you'll give us the faith that drives out all fear, that you would give us faith when we are most desperate. Lord, that you would give us faith to realize that though we are unclean, we have been made clean. And that those who come to you will be made clean and washed with your blood so that we might know your resurrection life. We ask all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you, Eddie, for that prayer. I'm not sure I need to preach a sermon after that, <laughs> but I will. Um, no, Eddie, thank you. Seriously, that was a marvelous prayer. Um, it's almost as if you knew what I was going to preach on, um, but he doesn't. So that's great. Um, fabulous reading from Mark's Gospel this morning. Um, although it's 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 kind of long, and it's actually it feels a little bit like two. Um, readings at the same time, because we have the story of Jairus and his daughter, and yet we also have the story of this um, woman healed from her her, um, disease at the same time. And and the healing of the woman there is, is interjected right in the middle of this longer story of Jesus' journey to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And I think we have to see that these two things are happening at the same time for a reason. There's a purpose in this, and there's some things that that Mark wants us to see about these two stories to really drive home about who Jesus is and who we are in light of that. And so we're going to do a couple of things this morning. We're going to recap the story briefly. We are going to... um, look at three things that we want to pull out of this story, three things that um, really have great application for us um, here and now today. Um, And at the end of the day, what I want you to hear um, is that God is faithful, and it is only by our faith that we will truly and fully know who Jesus is. God is faithful, and it is only by our faith that we'll know who Jesus is. Faith seems to me to be the um, hinge of this whole passage. So let us recap really quickly what is happening. Um, Back up just a little bit, you'll recall that Jesus um, went across the Sea of Galilee Galilee once already. Last week we read about it. He went across. There's this great storm. Jesus was asleep. The disciples were afraid, and they wake him up, and he calms the wind and the waves, and he asks the disciples where their faith is in the midst of that storm. So he crosses over to the other side, of the Sea of Galilee, and there he meets um, a man possessed by many demons. Their name is Legion, because there are many, and he has been walking among the tombs on the other side of the Sea of Galilee for a very long time. And there Jesus drives out these demons from this man. Um, he, they drive them out. And the man goes, and he tells and sees all the villagers, and the villagers come back to Jesus, um, and they are amazed, but not amazed in a good way, amazed in kind of a, um, Jesus, will you please leave us alone and get out of our town way. And so they ask Jesus to leave, Um, but the man um, goes and is instructed to tell people what he has seen and what he has, um, what has happened to him through Jesus. And so Jesus leaves, and he crosses the Sea of Galilee again, and that brings us to our story today. He crosses the Sea of Galilee. This is obviously a place where he is well-known and well-loved, because the minute he steps foot on the shore, he is surrounded by a great crowd of people. In this crowd is a man named Jairus. He is a ruler in the synagogue. He is certainly um, probably wealthy. He holds a high status. Um, He might have everything he could possibly think of or imagine, and yet... His daughter is very sick, near death. And Jairus pushes through the crowd and he falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, Jesus, will you please come and lay your hands on my daughter that she might be healed? And Jesus agrees at once. He will certainly do this. But he doesn't seem to be driven by any great urgency. He's walking through the crowds and there again from the midst of the crowd comes somebody else up to Jesus. A woman, she's had this great disease. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's been through much suffering. She's spent all her money on physicians, doctors. Her illness yet is still getting worse. Um, But it's not just that she is sick. She would be considered ceremonially unclean. She'd be unable to worship in the temple. And frankly, she's not even supposed to be out in public Heaven forbid she touch anyone else and make them unclean as well. She's an outcast, and she's a threat to anyone in her community. So she's risking much, friends, to be out in public. She's risking much to be out in this great crowd. She's risking much to push through to see Jesus. She's risking much to reach out and touch his garments. And yet, she knows that even touching the robe of Jesus could have the power to make her well could have the power to heal her and so she touches his robes she's immediately healed but Jesus has perceived something his power is gone from him as the way mark puts it I, I suggest the words can hardly describe what Jesus feels when this happens and he looks up and he looks around and he says who touched me and the disciples were like well Jesus There are hundreds of people gathered around you. They're all trying to touch you, and you want to know which one in particular it was? But he does. I'd say chances are Jesus knows. He knows who touched him. He knows what happened, but he needs the woman to come forward and claim it for herself. So he says, who touched me, and the woman in great fear and trembling comes forward, and she tells the truth. I'd I touched you, Jesus. And he says, go in peace, woman. Your faith has made you well. And in the meantime, Jairus' daughter has died. The um, messenger has been sent from his house. He says to Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has passed away. But Jesus looks at him and he says, Jairus, do not fear. Only believe. And so Jesus and Jairus and a few, a smaller group of the disciples, head um, to his house. And there they encounter this great crowd of mourners. And Jesus says to them, she is not dead. She's only asleep. And they laugh at him and mock him. Say, no, she is most certainly dead. And yet Jesus enters the room with the disciples and Jairus and his wife. And he takes the little girl's hand into his hand. He says, little girl, arise. And this 12-year-old girl gets up, and she walks, and everyone is amazed. There are three things all doing, having to do with faith that I want us to see in this reading this morning. There's a lot more to it, but we're going to talk about these three things, about faith, um, that, that I hope will touch your heart. And I I don't presume that all three will touch your heart, but I hope at least one of them does. And the first thing that we see regarding faith is this. Jairus' faith and the woman's faith are most abundant when they are most desperate. Their faith is most abundant when they are most desperate. Consider this woman. She has been sick and outcast from her community for 12 years. That is a long time. She has no money. The doctors were no help. Her sickness is getting worse. Certainly, she has grim prospects. But in her faith, when she was at the bottom of despair, I'm guessing, in her faith, she said, I need only to touch the robes of Jesus and that has the power to heal me. Or how about Jairus facing the death of his daughter? Indeed, his daughter is dead by the time he finally arrives home with Jesus. What kind of faith did it take Jairus to walk into that room with Jesus and trust him to raise her from the dead? Certainly it would have been easier to stay out there with the mourners, and yet he goes in with his wife and witnesses new life in his 12-year-old child. When this woman and when Jairus are at their absolute most desperate is when we see that their faith is most abundant. Now, I want to I hit the pause button for just a second and do a, a, a brief aside. I hope it's brief. Um, and we need to be careful about one thing here, because It could be easy to read this passage and see these two healings and say, Now listen, Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to heal your husband or your child or your friend. He wants to heal you if only you had enough faith. And if he's not healing you like he healed in this passage, then your faith is not enough. That's a tempting route to take. But it's not true. It's not true. The Gospels are full of Jesus' healings um, when faith isn't present. The healing actually leads to faith. Or sometimes the healing happens, but faith never comes. And so we've got to be willing to say that, yes, God heals today. But sometimes we don't know why. And sometimes we don't know why he, he doesn't heal. But if I were to say to you, friends, you just need more faith. I would be putting a very heavy burden on your shoulders. You can't just summon that up. And so does God heal today? Yes, but, but why does he heal some and why does he, he not heal others? Um, we're not sure. But a couple things you, we can say is that those who turn to him in faith will be ultimately healed. There's an everlasting healing that is far greater and, and, and far more um, rewarding than a a temporary one. But at the same time, he does heal today, and he heals people for his purposes and and for his glory. And so whenever we do see God heal, the object is not to focus on the healing, but to focus on the healer, the one who offers healing ultimately to all of us. The Lord has a word for Paul about this. Paul is writing, and he he recounts that he's prayed time and time again that the Lord would take away this thorn in his side, that the Lord would heal this thorn. And time and time again, the Lord responds to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. That's all we need. And the cross and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit, that's all we need. God does heal some, and he doesn't heal others, and and we don't know why, but at the end of the day, we can say, Lord, your grace is sufficient. Heal me by your grace, and may my life bring glory to you. And so grace is given to all who have faith. Healing is given to some, at least physical healing, but ultimate healing is given to all who believe in Jesus Christ. But we don't want to say that More faith equals more healing. Those two cannot be held together in that way. Anyway, back to the main point that I want to make. Um, Jairus and the woman come to Jesus at their most desperate to receive healing. And they receive it. And I would suggest that we most fully know Jesus when we are at our most desperate we are, are most fully faithful when we are most desperate before the cross. Listen, a lot of people in this passage have come up to Jesus. Hundreds of them, a great throng of a crowd has come to Jesus. But only one, as far as we can tell, two, have come to him in faith, have come to him desperately aware of their situation. Many folks have come to Jesus curious. Many of them um, have come to, them, come to him because he, he, he seems like maybe uh, he's the Messiah. But, but few of them resp- re- uh, recognize their own desperate situation. And so the question I would put before you this morning is why? Why are you here? Why are you coming to Jesus? Are you curious? Is it just what you've always done? Do you have historical ties to this place that bring you here this morning? Is there a cultural expectation on you that this is what you're supposed to do on Sunday mornings? Frankly, none of these are bad reasons. I'm just glad you're here. I don't really care why you do care. But at the same time, I, I, I do want you just to be here, whatever the reason is. But to know Jesus like Jairus. To know Jesus like this woman, we've got to recognize our own hopelessness before God. That we are a sinful, broken people. That we live in a sinful, broken world. There's only one person who can save us from that. And that's Jesus Christ. And when we recognize that, when that wells up in our hearts, when we have that kind of faith, then we will know Jesus for who he really is. And if you don't know him like that, or if you have known him like that, and you're not so sure about that anymore, listen, you're in good company. I've been there. The disciples were there in the boat just last week in our reading. But Jesus is not content to let you stay there. He wants you to know the desperation of your situation. And that, that, that's hard news. I'm not going to lie about that. But he also wants you to know the glory of his healing and his resurrection. Our faith is most abundant when we are most desperate. Secondly, um, our reading this morning very intentionally and very clearly sets faith and fear at odds with each other. Faith is is one thing and fear is another, and these two cannot coexist. Now, they might coexist in us about different things. We might be um, faithful about one thing, and then we might have a lot of fear about about something else. But we can't be faithful about something and have fear about it at the same time. At least, that is not Jesus' plan. And so even if we turn back all the way to, um, not that far, but to chapter 4, we see at the end of this account of the disciples in the boat, Jesus says to them after he calms the wind and the waves, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see that? Fear and lack of faith there are linked. It's not like disciples said, oh yeah, we're fearful, so we change our minds and we have faith in you. No, they, they were filled with great fear. So they had some fear, and when Jesus asked this question, they're filled with more fear. And they say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Or the woman Um, In our reading today, verses 33 and 34, she comes to Jesus, she touches his robes, she's immediately healed, and I bet she would be so happy just to sneak away back into the crowd. Jesus says, who touched me? And she owns it, and she comes forward, but she doesn't come forward confidently, she comes forward in what? Fear and trembling. She's afraid. And Jesus says, woman... Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And finally, Jairus is told that his daughter is dead. And I'm sure he was um, full of sorrow at that moment. But Jesus looks at him and he says, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, but believe. Faith, we see in Hebrews, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you believe in something that you see day in and day out, it's not faith. It's, it's just reasonable. Why wouldn't I believe in that? But faith is something that we believe in that, that is actually somehow beyond us, it's something we hope for, it's something that is not seen. Too often when we're confronted with struggles, we turn to fear and not faith. Fear is actually, and we see in this passage, fear is actually a lack of faith. And Jesus says, do not fear, but believe. Do not fear, but have faith. Now, I could give you a sermon, and I've heard them, that would say, therefore, you guys... Have more faith. Summon that up in your hearts. Go get more faith. Stop being afraid. And I don't think that would work particularly well. It's just not something we can do to just simply have less fear and more faith and just will that on ourselves. But a sermon, perhaps, that would point you to the source of your faith might be helpful. And so when you're afraid, and you will be, you're going to fear things. It's going to happen. when Our faith has not been perfected yet. But when you're afraid, instead of turning within and trying to summon up some sort of inner courage, why don't you look to the cross? Look to the resurrection. When we realize in our heart of hearts that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our fear will. Will slowly and surely be destroyed. What can you fear when you've been promised eternal life in the presence of the God who created you and loves you? What could you possibly be afraid of? Nothing compares to that. And nothing can separate you from that. Now, that's not a switch you can just flip on, but you've